Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Taylor King, former Duke forward by way of Huntington Beach, Matter Day, shares the same name as you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he subscribes, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feat is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. So Dennis Solari, I heard, or I, I, I was watching TV the past couple of days, obviously, and I know which commercial you're talking about. And you're right. I have seen it. I'm familiar with it. But that's about the extent of, that I'm willing to go. Because after it, I was saying to myself, well, he's not, I, I don't, I don't know his name. I don't, like, it's not a household name to me. Like, this isn't Jake from State Farm. If someone said, oh, Jake from State Farm, I'd, I'd say, oh, khakis, something like that. Dennis Solari, it, I know what commercial you're referencing. I know it's for AT&T, but I, I can't really identify with the character. But the craziest thing is, is I feel like I'm completely out of the loop because when we were recording on Monday, 
Rachel was in the other room and she was like, I wanted to scream at you. You know who Dennis Solari is. <laughs> is it Solari or Celery? Like, I, I don't. Solari. That's the joke. That's the joke. Or it's part of the joke, I guess. That's uh, like, no, I don't like him. This, I, I feel like I'm now 1v3. But when I was watching it, I was like, yes, I know what this commercial is, but I couldn't identify Dennis Solari. Does that make well, sense you, at all? I mean, yeah, I wasn't the one who brought it up first off. Let me just point that out. Okay, so the, the, comp, the comp was made by the shark, who, as per usual, isn't here to actually like have the discussion about something that he brought up in the first place. Now, do we give the shark, actually, do we give the shark a pass for not being here uh, in this episode because he's boots on the ground at a game? Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. give him. I'll give him a very good game at that. So, yeah. uh, Seton Hall, Georgetown. Yeah, and you know that's those are his boys. Well, one of his. How many list? What's what's his list of boys? We'll have to ask him that because how many? He's got to be up to like four or five teams and boys, if not more, six, seven. I think but, he had an official number at some point, but Georgetown is not his boys. McClung is his boy, and he's well, not but C- but Seton Hall is his boys though. Absolutely, I would say right. that they are the clubhouse leader of Sharks boys. Yes, exactly. Uh, but I didn't make. I was just arguing with, or not arguing with you, but giving you a hard time that you didn't know who Dennis Solari was. I'm not exactly sure how the Greg Gard, Dennis Solari. I mean, I guess, you know. I mean, they just both have fat faces. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I guess so. Maybe a similar hairstyle. But um, I'm glad you at least are back in the loop on. Uh, that comp or at least knowing who that person is so we can move forward with our lives now. Yeah. I, I'm glad I was able to confirm that as well. But again, doesn't, doesn't stand out to me. And I know you're bearing the brunt of my rant right now, but I, I do appreciate you taking the time to listen to me and hear me out because I, I still feel like I'm taking crazy pills with the, you know, at least shark and Rachel saying that you should know who Dennis Solari is. No, Dennis Solari is not on the level of a Jake from State Farm in terms of notoriety and and household names, is what I, I mean. Say. I mean, Rachel did know who he was, though. So she's wrong too. <laughs> oh, okay. Excuse me. We're all. I, I, the, the only problem was that you had pretty much come off the discussion of we've done nothing. We've had no social interaction with anybody for a month. And all I've done is watch TV and this commercials on like every third commercial at this point. That's true. Well, I, yeah, maybe I, it's, it's mindless though. I try and tune it out when the commercials are, are on, maybe get okay. some foot fires going during commercial time. Oh, foot fires. I haven't seen you do that in a while. I, that I was know. actually, we really need those uh, for rallies. Maybe that's why, you know, Arizona basketball performed a lot better when we lived together. I feel like, cause we could do like rally fireball shots we could do foot fires during halftime to get the team going, and now, now we're you know not together, and maybe that's kind of maybe we were uh, the secret to Arizona basketball success. the the foot the foot fires specifically uh, from you. Whole athletic program has gone downhill. I got <laughs> we're posting like three and eight seasons with Kevin Sumlin and football, but I think the last foot fires I did actually were before the Pac-12 title game. For football, mm. Arizona versus Oregon, where they got absolutely smoked by Oregon. But Oregon also was the runner-up in college football for that year, so I'm not terribly. Maybe I should. Maybe I should bring those the foot fires back out before yeah. each game. After each game, they got it. They got two opportunities against the LA schools at home to make it four wins in a row. So they should win 
UCLA on Saturday. Thursday is going to be a difficult game. Yeah, uh, and we'll get into – that's one of the many – uh, kind of rivalry games that actually we have coming up on Saturday. So th- I would say that, um, you know, with football obviously ending this last weekend, um, and we, we just kind of talked about this the last couple episodes, but a uh, real strong Saturday of college basketball coming up. And so this is kind of like the, hey, everybody, this been going on for a little bit. Why don't you come join us now type of weekend. Dress rehearsal time is over. The curtains are up, as I had mentioned at at the break of every at the end of each of my intros but seriously college basketball curtain is now up it's time to show everyone that's been casual or hasn't even been paying attention to college basketball what's happening this year and so before we even dive into some of those saturday games another huge huge piece of news our boy john rothstein is going to get his own show on youtube coming next week and it's called stuffed so the trailer based on the trailer it's just him talking to coaches maybe for his own podcast, maybe just for enjoyment. Maybe he texted the coaches, just said, hey, give me a call. Coaches probably are like, I mean, we don't hear the coaches on the other end of the line. They're probably like, John, why the fuck are you calling me? <laughs> but the trailer is just him talking to coaches, eating what looks like to be an absolute buffet of different food from, from onion rings to sushi. He even ate some onion rings with chopsticks. I mean, this seems like it's right up my alley. Food and college basketball – and it's Rothstein in a like a dark theater. Back-to-back years where Kansas doesn't win the Big 12 could be a possibility. This is a little bit thicker penny than I'm used to. I'm meeting it with chopsticks. Well, one in Rome. Baylor 4-0 in true road games this year. Coach, how are you? No, I can't believe how long Florida State is either. What's up, Turge? You keeping more sell at the four this week again? Save your basketball hell in a cell. Coach Cronin, how are things in Westwood? Another call. Always while I'm eating. Coach, how are you, man? Oh, so Roden's primarily a four right now. You have more guards than Andy Dufresne had in the Shawshank Redemption. Coach, how are you? How are things out there in sunny California? They still have a steak at that place in Morgantown named the Huggy Bear. Coach Izzo, how are you? Been to Crunchy's lately? Let's stay connected. Yeah, we sleep in May. We sleep in May. We sleep in May. <coughs> We sleep in May. I might sleep before, but I don't choke on one of these things. We sleep in May. Talk at you. Uh, another one of the things up our alley theater. Have you yeah. been able to see the trailer? Uh, I did. I, the the thing that I wonder about with Rothstein is more than anything else is like, when does this guy sleep? He because uh, he's May. yeah. <laughs> Shit, that's on me. That's on me. I'm gonna go ahead. I'll go do some foot fires after this show. I'll go take a lap. But in all seriousness, it's like he is eating everything. He's watching every single college basketball game, seemingly. And now he has time to do this, too. It's incredible. It's, he's incredible. I want to know what his thoughts on are like on ethnic food. Because I feel like, and I had mentioned sushi. I don't know if he actually is eating sushi. But I feel like Rothstein in that trailer and every time he tweets – is always tweeting about like Italian food or new American, a steak, wings, pasta. I want to know his thoughts on maybe a Cambodian joint in New York City. Or what are his thoughts on like Ethiopian? Well, can you maybe just tweet at him and ask him that? I've tweeted at him so goddamn, so many times, man. I feel like he's he's, he's annoyed 
by my tweeting. I'm going to tweet at him again, though. That won't well, deter yeah. me. No, of course not. Him and him and Pantelis, we can't get him to respond at all. And we have actual legitimate questions that we need to know. I, or the you or the listeners want to know just as bad as we are. I assume. I would like to also see with this with this new show of his. Do you think Taylor? There's any opportunity for a collaboration between Rothstein and Guy Fieri? You know, I saw you tweet about that, and I feel like they both have the same amount of energy. So really, they should be able to find this in their schedule because neither of them probably sleep at all. You know, Guy Fieri probably has a lot of um, issues, obviously, with being the mayor of Flavortown. I'm sure that, like, there's got to be probably another campaign coming up. Election season's coming up, so I'm sure he's got to get out and talk to his people about that uh, to continue to continue his run as mayor of Flavortown. But other than that, they don't sleep at all. So they really have 24 hours of opportunity to have some kind of collaboration. Maybe like as Guy Fieri, what, what's his breakfast food situation? What does Rothstein think about breakfast food? Maybe we could get one of those mashups where they, they could film it at five in the morning because they're both probably up taking care of their duties by then. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I would say that their breakfast food, both of them, they probably just eat wings. I mean, I feel like I feel like Fieri just loves wings dunked in in buffalo sauce or mild Daytona, whatever it is. And then I feel like Rothstein, he only eats those Kerry wings, Kerry style wings uh, at Bar Coastal. But I mean, it, it's I want those two to get and collaborate together because they're just two of the more absurd human beings, not only in real life but also on Twitter. Uh, both are must follows, in in my opinion. And so Rothstein, hug for you. New show coming to YouTube starting next week. I will be watching. Uh, that's going to be must-see television. Can I push that one farther? If they're going to do a show about wings, can we get Rick Ross in there? Yeah. Wings. Maybe lemon, do that wing wing challenge. Lemon pepper my wings. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many ways that Rothstein can go with this. He's got the connections. Uh I'm, I'm looking forward to everything that he does with this uh, new platform. You know, actually, shout out to Rothstein. He's made a lot of social media growth in the last 12 months. He used to just be a Twitter guy. Rothstein used to be one of those, uh, if you were like a hipster college basketball fan or a college basketball fan like us who has the, the finger on the pulse of almost every team or analyst, like he used to be in the Steve Lapis type <laughs> analyst, right? Right, right. He was, exactly. he was always just a CBS Sports Network guy. Now everyone knows John Rothstein as the in, insane human being on Twitter that tweets the exact same uh, one-liners about different coaches, about different venues, about different foods. And he also gives you those inspirational tweets every single morning. Right. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, you know, I, it's, it's beautiful to see someone who's at the top of their craft, but continuing to grow as a person to push themselves even further up uh, towards the top of their uh, industry. Let's call it. Can we liken John Rothstein to Gonzaga's ascension over the past two decades? Right. So Gonzaga was that mid-major team that no one really knew about early 2000s. Mark Few comes in and they start to build success. Now nobody really even considers them a mid-major anymore. That's right. kind of how I see Rothstein, right? He's a he's a major player in college basketball media. Oh, 100%. He is. Yeah, he's he, and he always shows up. He's he's one of the guys that if you're not a major college basketball fan, he always shows up in March and you're like, "Oh yeah, we know him." Same with Gonzaga. 
who watches Gonzaga basketball games during the year? No one. No one watches Gonzaga basketball games. They got to be like the least highly rated TV games of like all time for a school that hasn't left the top five in like 15 years. And yet, like if you ask our parents or something or, or some, oh yeah, Gonzaga, they're good, right? So like Rothstein. Oh yeah, Rothstein's here in March every year. I, I know him. That's a very good point because I don't really watch Rothstein on CBS Sports Network no, because I feel like they I. always air their their programs at 11.30 my time after a San Diego State or West Coast Conference. Which just happens to be when Gonzaga is playing as yeah, well. Exactly. All, yeah, exactly. Similarities the, are there. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I think you so, got it spot on. I'll be, che- I'll be checking out that show. I suggest you do as well. Uh, I would also suggest checking out the slate of games upcoming this Saturday, highlighted by Duke, North Carolina. So what I want to do, Taylor, is first – why don't you run down the list of these rivalry games slash good games that are going to be on Saturday, and then we'll spend the rest of the time discussing Duke Carolina because at the end of the day, there's a lot better games in terms of what I, I'm predicting to be uh, more competitive than Duke Carolina. But Duke Carolina always highlights this college basketball Saturday, and it goes to my point for me saying that's the greatest rivalry in all of sports, professional collegiately it's better than ohio state michigan it's better than red sox yankees it's better than bears packers in my opinion this is the premier rivalry in sports because you have a team like carolina who's 10 and 12 and it's still going to draw attention uh, to this game oh yeah no if it if it wasn't duke north North carolina it would be i just ran through the list again it would probably be the worst game uh, uh of that we're going to run through if it wasn't duke north carolina obviously that means a lot you know in one of the games uh that's happening on uh saturday night at the last big game of the day is oregon oregon state oregon oregon state has a much better combined record than duke north carolina even in like conference play you know and so uh outside of the um you know the legendary game that it is uh it's not exactly as uh as big of a draw this year but you know this is kind of the, I guess, you know, North Carolina isn't going to make the tournament, right? Unless they win the conference tournament. And we don't think that they're going to win the conference tournament either because they suck. But if they could, like, knock off a game like this, it might give them a little confidence to maybe end the season on a high and maybe make that type of run in the ACC tournament. Um, I don't know. Remains to be seen. Uh, I, I, I think it's just going to be a blowout, personally. But we'll get into it in a second. Uh, some of the other games that we're looking at, uh, actually Friday, the, the theater starts on Friday. Uh, this is kind of a shark versus Supermanian game, if there is one. And that's Maryland at the Underwoods. That's Friday night. That's a huge shark Supermanian that's game. That's a big shark Supermanian game right there. Yeah. That's a, yeah, right. I was, I was ready to two-step yesterday when Rutgers was up by seven or so, end of the first half. And Maryland could they did not score a point. Forget a field goal. I don't think they sc- Maryland scored a point for the last nine minutes of the first half. They ended up coming back and and battling and winning. But again, I still didn't. Uh, I mean, outside of Jalen, what what's his name? Jalen something. Uh, their guy, uh, Maryland. Oh well, right. I, I mean, Anthony. There's Anthony Cowan. He missed yeah, yeah, it. Cowan. But uh, right. I, he's. Not, I don't even think he's their best player right now. It's Jalen. Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but uh, well, it starts with a C. Uh, wow, we're college. Luckily, we're college basketball. Jesus ex- Christ! Ex- well, now we got to look at r- running, running a college basketball podcast. Smith, Jalen Smith. 
Is it J- yeah, Jalen Smith. Yeah. All right. Yeah, he's right. averaging he's averaging 15 points a game. Incredible yeah, name me. to completely blank out. On. But <laughs> well, that's that's uh, the pro- that's the problem is it's like the most common name in college basketball. Yeah, I was going to two step on on the Shark yesterday, but Maryland did end up coming back and beating Rutgers. But yes, Maryland Illinois huge game. I'm very confident in the Illini. Friday night in Sh- Champaign, Maryland can't win on the road. Give yep, me the that's, Underwoods. That's exactly what I was going to say. You know, it's it and Whoever wins that game, uh, obviously that's not for a couple days. Um, but whoever wins that game is going to be in first place, by, like by themselves in the Big Ten, and that's pretty big because you know Maryland. Some people would have predicted that, but I don't think even you would have predicted that. You, you predicted Underwood as coach of the year, but I don't think you any of us would have predicted it would be because they were leading the conference with six or seven games left in the season or however many it is now, eight games left in the season. So it's pretty incredible uh, on Illinois' part. And, uh, you know, one of the other games that's going to have uh, a lot to do with where those teams fall uh, in the Big Ten standings is Michigan at Michigan State at Michigan. Now, we've talked about previously how Michigan – hasn't played nearly as well as they did earlier in the season. Michigan State kind of going through a little bit of rush pass rush rough patch now. Um, you know, obviously I think you guys are a little higher on them than I than than I am at this point. That game really is if if Michigan can win that game, then they are back in all right, they're in the tournament. If Michigan loses that game, they're probably back out at that point because they go they fall to four and eight in the Big Ten, which would be good enough for something like tenth place or ninth place. Um, so there's that's a, a kind of a big one. If Michigan State loses that game, they fall to eight and five. That puts them two games back in in conference with about eight seven or eight games to go, and that'll be the third loss in a row. Um, obviously, that's not where they expected to be at this point this year although we know that uh, Izzo teams usually don't peak. But it's going to be tough to continue to convince yourself that they're going to peak if they lose like three in a row and we're 10 days into February. That means March is only 18 days away after that. So um, that one's pretty big to me. Uh, looking forward to talking to uh, Mike Burgermaster about LSU-Auburn, which is also one of the early games um, on Saturday. A couple other ones we have are uh, Seton Hall at Nova, Another huge one. Uh, we'll have to see how uh, that Seton Hall game turns out tonight, too, to see kind of the implications on that game. We've got uh, St. Louis-Dayton, real underrated rivalry, uh, especially with how good uh, Dayton is this year. And then some of the other ones, we've got Virginia-Louisville, Gonzaga-St. Mary's, UCLA-Arizona, Oregon-Oregon State, and then uh, not quite a rivalry game, but on Sunday we have Butler-Marquette as well. A real litmus test. Uh, for Butler in that one too, because I think they're very overrated. Speaking of Butler, and I'm going to intertwine this back with two points uh, related to those slated games that you just mentioned. A couple of weeks ago, I said Butler and Auburn had huge road wins against uh, conference teams to avoid a, going into a complete tailspin. There are about two weeks, and this is extended a little bit now here for Butler, more so than Auburn, absolutely, because Auburn's rattled off two straight starting with Kentucky. But uh, Butler kind of went through that two-week stretch, so did Auburn, of disappointing play, but they rallied in tough environments to win basketball games to avoid going into a complete tailspin. Michigan now, as it relates to these games, Michigan is in a complete tailspin. That is where they're at right now, and I'm glad you brought up, you made a great point about 
whether they win, they're probably back in. If they lose, they're probably back out. The way I look at it is this is the very first game for a major conference team that is a must win in the regular season. I, I genuinely believe that beating Michigan State is a must win for Michigan because the Big Ten is very difficult. Uh, we, we, we all understand that. Michigan's schedule doesn't get any easier, and it's not as if Michigan is a powerhouse team. It's not like they're playing anywhere near the level that they were in November and December. So this game against Sparty is a must-win game. Well, I'm actually going to push back on you a little bit. Their schedule from here, they've actually kind of played a tougher half of the season so far. Uh, their only ranked team they have left to play is at Maryland. The rest in, at the end of the season, Michigan does. You know, their next games after this are Northwestern, Indiana, Rutgers, Purdue, Wisconsin. They get to play Nebraska again. They could probably, if they win this game, I could see them getting back to 500 in conference play, which would make them to the tournament. Now, on the flip side... Real quick, I would say four of those teams are not guaranteed, with Purdue being a bit of a stretch. So very, very, very surely, in my opinion, three, Rutgers, Indiana, and Wisconsin... Those three teams, I don't have any confidence that Michigan can beat those three. And yeah, Rutgers isn't ranked, but they were hovering 20 to through 25 for a majority of the season. Sure, but I would say if they could beat a team like Michigan State, it would give me the uh, you know more of a, a a good feeling that they could knock off some of those 50-50 games. Now, here's the only problem we have with Michigan State in terms of if they're going to win the Big Ten. They're flipped. They've already played the easy half of their schedule they still play illinois maryland iowa maryland penn state all ranked teams coming down the stretch two days ago we would have said ah penn state no big deal they just lost to penn state at home last night so that's that kind of already brings up a so you only got two gimmies in there and that's at nebraska and then even the end of the year is is ohio state which we don't know how ohio state's going to be this year or you know end this season but, um, you know, they're a decent enough team. If you're saying that they, they really only have, if, if if we look at the last seven games, those aren't, there aren't any gimmies in there for Michigan State. And, you know, again, two weeks ago, we would have said, ah, they'll probably roll off, you know, six of those, no problem, win the conference with three, four losses. But now you're already at, you know, what, three, four losses. And you have to still have to play five, six ranked opponents. Uh, half of those being on the road, that's a tough sled uh, to to pull there. Even at Michigan, even for Michigan State, in my opinion. So uh, it's going to be that's what makes this game on Friday so big. Illinois or Maryland will essentially have a two game lead on Michigan State, and Michigan State has five ranked teams to play. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. There was another game that that you had mentioned uh, that I just wanted to touch briefly upon. I think you had said. Auburn LSU, which is going to be a huge, huge tilt because LSU right now sitting alone in first place in the SEC. Meanwhile, Auburn only has two losses coming off of a Final Four campaign. Both of these teams lost a ton of, a ton of talent from their very good seasons last year and their teams last year. Okiki gone for Auburn just off the top of the head. And then for LSU, Naz Reed uh, gone for them as well. Uh, Trey Waters gone. So Will Wade and Bruce Pearl, and I had mentioned Bruce Pearl as my SEC coach of the year. I think actually that's sitting pretty. Uh, that's going to be a game to watch in the SEC for sure. Oh, I mean, I don't. They'll be three games up on Auburn if LSU wins. 
And uh, depending on what Kentucky does, there'll be two games up on Kentucky. And they only play Kentucky once. So Kentucky would only have the opportunity to get one game back on, on, on LSU. So I don't, I really don't see how anyone else would win the SEC at this point. If, if LSU essentially goes three games up with eight or nine games to play at that point, and only if they had to play Kentucky twice in there, I'd say, okay, if Kentucky sweeps them, they get both games, a tiebreaker, the whole deal, then you'd say, okay, yeah, you, you know, there's still a race. It's going to be real tough for anyone to get over LSU if they're undefeated nine games in and they're three games up and have the tiebreaker over theoretically the second best team in the conference. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I, college basketball teams, especially this year, are so fickle. I could see LSU out of nowhere losing two or three straight. Uh, sure. they, they don't necessarily strike me as a powerhouse team that's going to win a ton of games in a row, even though they've they've they're well on their way to doing that at the moment. We're in the midst of that, but you know, I, I could definitely. February is a, a very long month, and I I'm very curious to see who's going to be playing well towards that last week of February. That's when the the money is going to be made. Well, it's interesting you say that. I didn't because, mean to say that about LSU, by the way. Sorry, Will. Yeah. Wait. Oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, LSU could also they're two buckets away in like each game to also being like two and six conference yeah they really are all their wins are by like four points two points uh florida missed a layup that was called or they made a layup that was called back at the buzzer by like 0.1 second uh to beat them earlier this year but you know it, it really depends on how you fall on the argument and i just bring up arizona right arizona's lost to those games that they that they they needed four buckets or two buckets lsu has one game where they needed two buckets so it's do you fall on the this team is close to close to losing these games or they're tough because they've pulled out all of those games. I'm not asking you specifically. I'm just saying there's two schools of thought to that. You could easily make the argument that, yeah, okay. Um, they are just outlasting everybody, maybe not due to their own accord, just because of coin flip type of things. But I will say just because of where they'll end up, if they win this game, three games up, it's tough. It would be tough to lose all those coin flips in reverse going the other way. They'd have to beat themselves, but regardless, a bevy of games all on Saturday across all conferences and this weekend. Uh, But like we said, it's headlined by Carolina Duke, no matter how shitty Carolina is, or even no matter how shitty Duke is, which I can't remember the last time Duke was truly, truly this as bad as Carolina is this year or sub 500. This is the best rivalry in sports. And you had mentioned, you think that it's going to be a blowout. I actually I was I was fighting with myself with this one. I didn't know if it was going to be a blowout in favor of Duke or it's going to be a competitive close game. I think Duke wins regardless. Duke's going to either win in a route or in a close game. I don't think Carolina wins whatsoever. But I think with Cole Anthony being back and I think with th- this game being played in Chapel Hill and it's a rivalry game, fans are going to show out. Game day is going to be there. This is, I'm, I think game day is going to be there, right? I just, I have to fucking assume so. It's Duke it's Carolina. It's generally a safe assumption. Yeah. Right. But I think this is actually going to be a closer game than a lot of people expect. I think it's going to come down to within one or two possessions uh, under three minutes, but Duke will, will eventually win. It's not as if Duke's been playing that well past couple games either. They, they had a good stretches against Syracuse for sure, which is, I mean, a hostile environment to play in absolutely then they just were terrible against bc ended up winning that game but 
The past two games have been a little shaky and going into a rivalry game. It's, it's completely different. It, it's going to sound so, so cliche, but really you do have to throw out the records when these two teams play each other, especially with Cole Anthony actually playing. So I'm actually going to take Duke in a close one. Yeah. Well, you generally don't have to throw out the records because both teams are usually really good. Like last year they played each other when they were the number two and number three teams in the country. Um, you know, this graphic comes out or this stat comes out every year when these teams play, but it's always funny to look at it again. Uh, the last 100 matchups between Duke and, and North Carolina are 50 50 with the same exact amount of points scored 7,746 for both teams. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And you over the last 100 matchups, you know, that goes way back more than just what the, the players on this team or whatever. So, yeah, you can throw the records out um, and and say that, yeah, they're always good, generally going to be close. Here's something I want to bring up to you, though, just get your thoughts on. You know, we're big Noara boys from Louisville, but is Vernon Carey the player of the year in the ACC? He very well could be. That guy is a double-double machine and a load down low. And it's crazy to think because Duke – when we were growing up, let's say high school and early part of college, it was all about their guard play. Everyone feared J.J. Redick. Everyone, I mean, they hated him, but they they kind of feared uh, Greg Paulus. They feared a little bit of Grayson Allen, who was who was kind of a that small forward position. But it was it was mostly the guards, uh, and obviously going way back to Bobby Hurley, who's the all time assist leader in college basketball. Uh. Yeah, I, I agree. But that's that is exactly the title that he holds. Past few years with Duke now, though, they've got guys like Marvin Bagley. They've got uh, – who did you just mention? Vernon Carey. Jason Tatum's a a big guy in the college game. Their big men have been playing extraordinarily well. Uh, Brandon Ingram, who I'm missing. Like recently, Duke is a a big man factory almost. Yeah. uh, I think that it's just kind of the nature of college basketball as a whole in the sense that – you've just got these much more of these bigger dudes that are just athletic and can be developed more. It's a lot easier 30, 40 years ago. It's a lot easier to develop a six, two dude in the gym because everybody was not, everybody was at height, but coaches, whatever they knew how to teach players, how to, uh, how to handle the ball. Now, when you have positionless basketball, let's call it, you know, Marvin Bagley's of the world and Brandon Ingram's and all these guys are learning every single position. And really, I mean, you can say the same thing about Kentucky, all, you know, all those schools where you used to just have, you know, a dump it in type of center. Now you've got guys like Brandon Ingram, an all-star seven footer playing the three in the NBA, you know? And so I think it's just as much as it is about Duke and shout out to, you know, I mean, obviously we kind of hate the dude, but respect him just kind of like how i feel about say like bill belichick for example is coach k coach k has adapted as well or better than any coach in college basketball he 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 was anti everything and then he's now like the one the biggest one and done machine in college basketball even maybe above john calipari which i respect but at the same time it kind of it was cringeworthy when he said it when Cal was kind of at the forefront of those Memphis teams, early Kentucky teams with John Wall. It was cringeworthy when Coach K was like, we develop players, we want them to stay. Now it's like, dude, do you not remember what you said seven years ago? You're right. You and Calipari are the same person. It's just that Calipari got a, a head start on you in 2007. Right. So that's got, I, I see what you're saying, but yeah, I, I don't want right. to give 
I don't want to give K too much credit because he was been he's been cringeworthy about this whole thing the past like ten years. Uh, what do you think is the most notable thing that happened in the in last year's Duke North Carolina games? Oh, Zion. Zion. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. yeah, I was just looking at that right well, now. Well, even the even the college tournament at, game, I think he dropped like thirty one. Right, uh, but that was at Cameron. Uh, when obviously this is at the Dean Dome this time around, so not a perfect, not a perfect analogy there. But uh, yeah, you know, even did you? I don't even know if you mentioned Zion Williamson a second ago in the big, but he's not even really like a. I mean, he is a big. It. He's a big. Oh, big! But yeah. but he's not necessarily a big just because he's big. He, you know, he might develop into someone into like a, into a three in the NBA potentially, and that's just kind of crazy. And and again, goes to kind of what I was saying about how you know. 20, 30 years ago, Zion Williamson would have been Charles Barkley. Now he's gonna now he's gonna be expected to make like two or three threes a game in the NBA. It's kind of funny though. You're you're right about about Zion, but it's just funny to think even as recent as like seven, eight years ago, 10, 12 years ago with Duke, go from Shavlik Randolph and the Brian Zubex of the world, Marshall Plumleys of the world to Ingram, Vernon Gary. Mar- they got, Marvin Bagley. It's just they got it's a hell crazy. of a they got a hell of a lot more athletic in a, about a four to seven year span there, and all all of a sudden, you know, because I don't think Duke was ever known for like throwing lobs to each other or anything like that. You know, JJ Redick wasn't out there throwing lobs, or at least not as many as you would see now. Yeah, I wonder what the the fundamental difference between uh, those six players that I had, I had mentioned. Hmm. Kind of put my finger on it. I don't yeah. know. So, do you have a, a few moments? that are, you know, that jump out to you about this Carolina Duke rivalry over the years, as we've grown up watching them, just like two or three of them that you can think of. You know, it's kind of funny because I I didn't like this guy in college. Don't really love him in the NBA. And the particular matchup that he's known for was one of the probably worst years for both of these teams combined. Uh, You know, just in terms of the records when they met, but is the Austin rivers, shot uh because i don't i never really liked austin rivers i don't i mean he's fine in the nba he's a good role player in the nba i'd have to go back and look but if i remember correctly though that year was wasn't a down down year like north carolina down year this year but it wasn't like a top was it it a top i don't think it was like a top five matchup when he hit that shot i don't know if it was top five yeah they they were fine they were both good right but it wasn't like a it wasn't like a top five like i just said matchup uh that one kind of stands out to me um, probably more than anyone else, and that might be a little recency bias uh, on my part. Uh, is there not? Is there one that that kind of comes to mind for you as a most notable? Yeah, there's a few. So we had mentioned Zion. The reason last year's game jumped off, I guess you could say recency bias, but Zion has been hugely lauded as like the most transcendent college basketball player, and I don't know how long. So any game with Zion, especially the greatest rivalry in sports it's not necessarily recency bias. It's the draw. And when I mentioned draw, the things I'll never forget is president Obama being there. I mean, you had a list celebrities in the fucking in, in Cameron indoor, right? Which is, I mean, it's, it's a small gymnasium in Durham, North Carolina and Zion Williamson brought that and the hype around it. These were two top five teams. This is like I said, Zion, but there's other talent on the floor. You got Trey Jones, uh, and so it just sucked though. The first 20 minutes or the first 20 seconds, I think Zion blows his shoe out. 
And so the, the air just got sucked out of the arena. And I was happy that Carolina won, but I was not happy, obviously, that Zion couldn't play. So that that's one of the first that jumps out to my mind uh, in terms of the rivalry was, was Zion blowing a shoe out. And then, of course, the aftermath. I mean, the talking heads. Zion shouldn't play anymore. Uh, Zion should sit out until the NBA draft. Just all of the takes. And knowing what we know about Zion now, a year later – the kid just wants to play. I mean, I, I genuinely right. think he wasn't blowing. He was not blowing smoke up our ass when he said he would have gone back to Duke unless he was forced out the door. Uh, so he loved it that much. So the Zion blowing out his shoe was a huge moment. Also, Obama like mouthing, oh, he ripped his shoe or something like that. That was hysterical. Uh, Austin Rivers, that's on my list as well. Cannot forget about this one, though. Gerald Henderson elbowing Tyler. Oh. And there was a fucking bloody mess. And it was just so – it encapsulated both Hansborough so well and also Duke so well. Gerald Henderson, by all accounts, is not a dirty player. But Duke, they have guys like Christian Lantner who step on your chest. Gerald Henderson who fucking knocks you on your ass with an elbow. And then it embodied Tyler Hansborough. He's gushing blood. He gets up. He's just the epitome of this, like, tough white kid who, like, you know, he's, he's just going to let me, you know s- – crack my nose back into place and I'll <laughs> hit this free throw. That's that was Tyler Hansborough. And then uh, lastly, this one I think goes under the radar and I'll get some more years after this, but this, this game goes under the radar. In, in my opinion, North Carolina in 2006 was ranked 13. Duke was ranked number one. Duke hosted senior night. This game again in Cameron indoor, they had JJ Redick and Sheldon Williams, who, by the way, did you know this? Sheldon Williams was a two-time defensive player of the year. Huh. I, I didn't did not. know he was that good in college. So they had a, those two guys at home on senior night. Teams don't lose on senior night. Carolina was the defending champion, but they lost pretty much their whole core. Like I said, they were ranked 13, and they had Hansborough and Danny Green only as freshmen. Reddick apparently missed 15 of his last 16 shots, which is kind of unfathomable. You could argue that's his worst game ever, but – this game, Carolina ended up winning as the 13th ranked team over number one senior night on the road. And I think that was kind of the beginning of the Hansborough Danny Green legendary run that they really went on. So I was wrong, by the way. It was no, that Austin Rivers was a number nine versus number five matchup. So, yeah, just like just like every. I was wrong, too. Though, I guess. Right. Yeah, whatever. Uh, one of them that I remember, I, I, I actually had to go back and look at which year it was. It was Chris Duhon hitting like a, a game winner or a game tying shot in uh, during regular time and then a game winner in overtime. That was back in 2004. Um, I actually kind of liked Chris Duhon back at Duke. I can't name too many players that I enjoyed at Duke. Um, really strange. That's one of the strange NBA careers of all time, too, is Chris Duhon's NBA career. Uh wasn't he like an all-star for the Bulls and then pretty much like was out of the league 18 months later? I can't remember if he was something an like that. But he was good. Yeah. Yeah. It was really damn good. Like 20 plus points a game. Right. Um, and then I, I, I don't specifically remember watching this game or all the plays from this game, but you see it on a lot of the highlights and that's, uh, and that's Jerry Stackhouse is like monster dunk. It, it went back in the early nineties, right when we were or mid nineties, when we were getting into college basketball, I know that I like watched that game as a, like a seven year old, 
and uh, but I don't specifically remember the outcome. It was a double overtime game, but I do remember uh, Jerry Stackhouse is just a monster dunk with authority. I'm sure on Saturday we'll see it replayed in the pregame montage that they'll do as well. So many memories and so many montages that it seems as if every single year they're able to take something from the previous year and add it to that montage. And it's not, it's not these producers fishing for something. Like I said, the Zion shoe break, I will guarantee that is more automatic. A Zion shoe break in this year's montage, more automatic than a Luann Pipkins, 97.3, whatever percent foul shooter (laughs) from the line. That is more automatic than a Pipkins foul shot. Uh, So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun, but you think Duke's going to win in a blowout? Yeah, our boy, friend of the program, Cody Hoxie, will be happy to happy to hear that uh, I think Duke probably wins. I mean, I, I'll say it with this caveat. If Cole Anthony doesn't score like 30 points, it's going to be a Duke cover slash potential blowout, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, even, uh, even and, with Cole Anthony, they still suck. Yeah, I just don't. And it's not even necessarily any fault of their... It is a, it is fault of their own, but you know they've had a lot of injuries and Nicole Anthony not being there, and even he, now that he's back, it's like it's only the second or third game back that they've had any opportunity to put anything together. It's just weird, and we've said this all year. But even when Cole Anthony was there at the beginning of the year, it's really weird to watch a North Carolina team that doesn't have any offense. Usually, it's the other way around. Usually, these games end up being like ninety-five to eighty-eight. I can absolutely no way can see this game being anything other than like a 60s, 70s scoring at most game, at least for North Carolina. Duke could score more than that. But uh, but even Duke, you know, I still I still don't to me. I think they moved up to the Vegas national championship favorite this week, for, actually, I, I believe. And I I just I still don't love Trey Jones. I, I still don't think that he's going to, he's the guy that leads you to a national championship, even in this year of super roller coaster college basketball. So I don't see this game being a super high scoring game. Like a lot of them have been previously. Cole Anthony coming back, them being at home, Carolina and the fact that it's a rivalry game. I know I just said Cole Anthony, even when he's back, Carolina sucked, but those last two items at home rivalry game, that's the only thing that may keep this close in terms of you know the crowd's energy feeding them. But Duke's going to end up winning that game. Uh, well, let, let me let me pose one more question to you. Sorry, before we move on, if Cole Anthony didn't play for North Carolina and didn't have two games with Duke left, would you would do you think he would have come back and actually played this season? I still don't think he should have come back. No, I don't, I don't either. Know why I don't either. He's back. No, I don't either. But I, I think the saving grace, if you're North Carolina, would be. If you're like Roy Williams or who you know whoever, if you're convincing someone to come back, is like, hey, we got to beat Duke. Couple, if you're going to come to North Carolina, we got to beat Duke. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying that if it was a different, if it was a different situation, if Cole Anthony played for Oregon, will you come back? Hell, we got to beat Oregon State and Trey Tinkle twice this year. Like, no, who I gives a shit? You, you know, I see what like, you're saying, but I also feel like this generation of kids, and this isn't me, like get off my lawn type type response here i just i feel like they don't care that much either Uh, because they're only there for a year and that's actually they shouldn't care though i like why i I, like i said i don't i wouldn't have blamed zion for not playing last year he his second game back was against carolina in the in the acc tournament but i wouldn't blame 
uh, I wouldn't blame Cole for not playing. I don't. I still don't know why he's back. The season's completely lost. But I mean, teach their own. I, I also don't blame him for playing against Duke. But you know, the level of magnitude that this and, and weight that this rivalry holds, you, you could be right. But I just feel like kids. Maybe Cole just wants to play. I don't know. We might be over. That's probably. I mean, that's probably it more than anything else. But yeah. yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and get to our interview with Mike Burgomaster. All right, we now welcome back a very good friend of the program, Assistant Director of Operations for Auburn Hoops, Mike Burgo, Master. Burgo, welcome back, dude. Thanks again for joining. Uh, a day or so removed from that overtime win in, in Fayetteville, man. You guys were sweating bullets there yesterday, huh? Yeah, no, so, yeah, that was, uh, you know, geez, that was, that, was, that was last night. So, yeah, it was a close one. Um, you know, we've... Uh, we got three wins on the road this year where we've been down nine, 11 and 19. So we just like, like to make it interesting. Um, you know, I, 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 we're like second in Ken Palm's luck rating or whatever. So, you know, we're just finding ways to win, but, uh, you know, 20 and two is, is pretty surreal, but we're, we're excited about it. So can I ask you real quick about Ken Palm now that you brought it up? Yeah. There's like, obviously Taylor and I, big Arizona guys, and there's a faction of the fan base that fucking loves stats, net, Ken Palm, does does Bruce and the the coaching staff? Do you guys like? Is that like a Bible for you guys, or is it more of just a oh we we know this is where we're at? I would say I would say it's like I wouldn't necessarily call it a Bible. Um, I think there's a couple of the guys on our staff that when we use it in scouting or even the like self scout a little bit, you know, I think we use it more as a confirmation of what we see. You know, like you, you know, you'll watch it. You'll watch tape on a team, and like, wow, they get a lot of offensive rebounds. You know, and then then you go and see like they're sixth in the nation in offensive rebounding percentage. So it's, it's more, you know, it's more confirmation of what your eye sees. Coach Pearl doesn't really use it a ton, um, you know, but it, it it allows it allows us to give some talking points to the team, just like you know, the, like a sixth national, a sixth ranked national offensive rebounding rate. You know, that sticks out. There's. 353 teams in, in, in college basketball. So, you know, that perks the ears up a little bit. Um, but no, it's definitely not it's definitely not a Bible. It's just something, you know, we, we pay attention to. Do you think that it, it it's useful, say, even more so uh, when the tournament comes? Because I know that there's some kind of rule that uh, a team that's won the national championship has never fallen outside of like the top 15 in, in either of the categories or something like that. Or would you say that you just use kind of the same scouting for every single game, you know, no matter whether it's the tournament or a regular season game at Arkansas. Yeah, no, um, I don't think, you know, you know, you like to hope that you're, you fall into that category at the year's end, but no, I mean, I think it, it wouldn't change how you really use it depending on who you're playing. It doesn't matter the, you know, the, the quality of the game or anything like that. Um, sure. You know, it's, it's, we, we use it pretty consistently just, just to confirm what we see. I want to go back, Burgo, to another overtime game that you guys played on the road, and that was in Oxford, Mississippi, against Ole Miss. And so uh, a few episodes ago, I was talking with Taylor and the Shark about how you guys and Butler, there was a two-week stretch where you were probably not playing as well as you would have liked to, and then you went on the road in tough environments and gutted out victories to avoid kind of a disaster scenario, even though you know you guys within the team may not describe it as that outside lookers may have been like, well, Auburn's struggling, but you went into Ole Miss and won in overtime. But I have to say, man, the ending of that game was a comedy of errors. 
Like I might be dating myself here. It's like one of those old timey Laurel and Hardy, like black and white co- comedy shows where the piano like falls on their head. Everything just looked so out of whack at the end of the game. People were fouling when they shouldn't have been. Uh, balls were being saved out of bounds when they shouldn't have been saved. Take us through those last couple minutes uh, about what was going through the coaching staff's mind and then also how you were conveying that message to your team to be like, hey, there's so many opportunities here for us. Stop screwing up. <laughs> I mean, you, you definitely don't go about it necessarily that way. But, um, you know, I think I think for us, you know, the reason we, we came back in that game, and we actually talked about it after the fact, you know, later that week, um, the reason we came back from a 19-point deficit in the second half is just because, you know, our locker room stayed together the whole time, right? So it's a, absolutely like a credit to our guys. Now, obviously, you know, the reason why people love college basketball is you can kind of expect the unexpected, you know, the unordinary, like everything you're supposed to do, like always goes the complete opposite direction. So, um, you know, obviously there's some plays down the stretch in, in, a, in a high pressure game on the road. You know, we just worked our way back. You know, we probably didn't make the the prototypical basketball plays that you that you normally would want to. Um, but, you know, I think just, you know, you got to give credit to our guys because, you know, they they uh, – just kept coming, you know, and even, you know, even when on that run back, right, you know, you, you miss or you turn it over, something like that, you know, you you just got to have to understand that, you know, you just got to go possession by possession at that point. Um, and we felt like, you know, when when uh, their leading scorer and at the time the leading scorer in the SEC fouled out with like five minutes to go in that game, you know, we felt like we had a really good opportunity to win that game um, and just and just grind it out possession by possession. We also got a vintage Pearl sweat sweat jacket after that i mean i'm talking left arm right arm back it was great that's a, you know, that's, a that's a and i don't mean to interrupt but you know one of the things about oxford that building is so hot uh, <laughs> i think it had something to do with whatever like they have the the high tech lights or whatever that are you know super bright and it you know makes their court look great but it's a really hot building so you know i, I know coach you know he he'd sweat in an igloo but um you know it, it's yeah it's tough What's the sweat difference this year to last year, or is it just the same? I think it's I, I think it's the same. I don't. I just think that's uh, you know, who he is. I just think that's uh, you're always going to get that from Coach Pearl. <laughs> well, at this point last year, speaking of last year, at this point last year, you guys were unranked. Uh, you're something like 15 and six, and I don't think that Auburn was ranked until the very final AP poll bef- until before the tournament. So, do, do you think that there's any? Uh, difference in expectations from say at this point first week of February last year as there are this year or is it always the same you know win the conference win the conference tournament get through the tournament yeah so I think um, you know for for us this year you know the goal the goal every year you know you have your pretty much you have your standard goals for for every team pretty much you know the first thing is going to be you know do well in the non-conference it's going to be protect your home court right it's going to be from there, it's going to be win your conference, win your conference tournament, go to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, one of the things that Coach talks about in the NCAA tournament is just winning every weekend, right? It's just two games at a time. you got to win two games that week to keep going on. And that's and that's really the mindset you have to look at it for. Um, you know, I think the difference between this year's team and last year's team is I think last year's team, um, you know, after, you know, we, we kind of reached the national scene a little bit just by – and, you know, we played Duke – close you know and I think in our guys's mind a lot you know they've kind of arrived a little bit and so I think we kind of got away from all the you know the little things it takes for for a basketball team to consistently win and you know it was 
even though even though we lost, you know, I lost six games at this point last year. You know, we weren't getting blown out or anything like that, right? We were we were losing games where it came down to one or two possessions. Um, and I think you know the focus at this point last year was kind of you know having our backs against the wall a little bit because when we were, you know, when we were at one point, I think we were seven and seven in conference. Um, after losing at Rupp Arena, we lost by like 26 or something like that. You know, they were talking about us not really having any quad one wins and and potentially missing the tournament after, you know, the all the hype that we had had on last year's team. Um, you know, I think this year, um, you know, the goals are obviously still to uh, – uh, sorry, let me go back. But, like, so last year when, when that – when our backs were against the wall, it was just about playing better each game. And eventually, you know, we, we peaked at the right moment. Um, obviously, and had a, a historic run going to the Final Four. Um, this year, you know, I think we we'll, we're just trying to get better every day. You know, I think we had um, we had a bad week where you know some of our flaws were exposed as far as you know um, you know our, our our ability to to shoot a little bit at times or, or you know like our um, you know we weren't finishing great at the rim stuff like that. Um, so I think for this team, the goal is to win the SEC regular season championship, like like we set out at the beginning of the year. Um, but it's also to just keep get, getting better every game, so that we can act and 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 peaking at the right time. Because at the end of the day, you know what you do in March is what people remember. So what about speaking of expectations? Do you think that the school or the crowd or campus has a different set of expectations for you this year, or is there a different feel compared to last year? Not to not to harp too much on last year comparing to this year, but you would imagine going to a Final Four last year, there's got to be an extra couple students in the crowd. There's got to be at least a couple more Auburn basketball shirts you see around campus every day. Is there more of a, say, palpable buzz as uh some would put it around say this year's team just because there is that maybe added expectation after following up a final four run yeah i mean i i definitely think so i mean you know auburn traditionally a football school that's had a very like an elite football program not just a competitive football program an elite program you know there there's high expectations for football every year and i think you know us doing something historic last year and returning you know um you know, five seniors, there, there's definitely heightened expectations coming into this year, um, which is natural, you know, as your, as your program tends to progress, you, you know, the expectations are going to progress. Um, I think the biggest, you know, the thing that stuck out the most about this year is, you know, we sold out to um, what we call holiday bleacher games towards the end of the December. It's when the students are on break um, and we had never had like standing room only sellouts in those games in school history before. And we sold out both of our games this year. You know, I think, um, you know, you see College Game Day coming to our campus uh, last weekend and, you know, us having a great crowd for that. You know, we've had – this will be our third – this upcoming Saturday, this will be our third 11 a.m. game on a Saturday, Central Time. And, um, you know, the, the students have been lining up at 3 in the morning. You know, I think, um, you know, the, 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 the fan base the fan base is uh, unbelievable and the support's definitely there. With that comes heightened expectations. And I think, you know, it's funny – just like scrolling through Twitter or whatever, like you see last year, you know, you, or, or excuse me, two years ago when we went, went on to win the rest of the SEC regular season championship, you know, there's so much excitement on every game. And when we lost, it was like, you know, we're proud of you. I think a little bit more this year, you know, even we're 20 and two and you still people say, see like they stink. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's just, it's a good, it's a good change, but it's, it's, it's a funny change at that. 
Virgo, you should be the third or fourth co-host, actually, because that was a beautiful segue into my next question, which is the fact that you guys are 20 and two. You're only a year removed from going to the final four. You have an established coach in Bruce Pearl. It's not like Bruce Pearl's an up-and-comer. Everyone knows how great he is as a coach at the college basketball level. Is there a chip on your shoulder? Do you feel disrespected? Because from my perspective, I feel like there – and Taylor brought this up a couple weeks ago. I feel like there hasn't been a team where fresh off of a final four run, they only have two losses here in February – and we're really not even talking about them that much. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's, you know, there, there's definitely a chip on the shoulder. And I think, you know, I think one of the coach's great strengths is, you know, in any circumstance, he can find a way to sort of develop that chip on the shoulder. Um, you know, for us a while throughout this year, it was, you know, we're, we were undefeated for that long time. Um, and, you know, we weren't ranked very highly. Um, you know, when we did get ranked highly, unfortunately, we lost. But you know, now, yeah, I mean, people talked about us not really beating anybody, um, you know, and, you know, we have a chance if if we play well on Saturday to get our third straight quadrant one win, um, which is like the mark of playing somebody, um, you know, but I think, yeah, there's definitely a chip on our shoulder, um, you know, not so, not so much with, I don't know, not so much with like the AP rankings because at the end of the day, that doesn't necessarily matter a ton to us or our guys, um, but I just, I, I do think there's always a naturally a chip that we don't get the same respect that um you know other other final four teams that are 22 would get yeah, yeah. i think you nailed it so burgo i'll let you know this much man this this program right here we are an auburn program but yes. we're yes. you're also gonna have to share that with iowa we're also an iowa program we love luca garza uh shark loves seton hall so we're miles powell and seton hall program and Illinois. I fucking love Illinois and Brad Underwood. So if you can if you can share some of the pizza with those guys, then you know we're we're right in your corner. Is that cool? Happy to share. Well, I think I think a lot we'll have to do it, you know, we'll have to focus a lot on Auburn basketball if they do, if you guys do beat LSU this weekend. I think this, you know, we talk about this weekend as kind of like uh, that line of demarcation of where everybody starts to pay attention to college basketball. There'd be no better way for everyone to start talking about Auburn again than with a, uh, a win against LSU this weekend. So tell me a little bit about that. What's What are you looking for in a matchup against LSU coming up on Saturday? Yeah, so, so you know, LSU, um, you know, they, they won the regular season championship last year. Um, obviously, we did with Tennessee two years ago. So there's a little bit of a storyline in that. Um, you know, they're right now in sole, play, sole possession of first place in the SEC at 8-0. Um, and I, I think they're going to beat Vanderbilt tonight at Vanderbilt to go nine and zero. Um, we're at seven and two, and you know, like I said, one of our goals is to win the SEC championship in the regular season. So we need this one really to close the gap. Um, you know, I think what the biggest thing that sticks out about LSU is their ability to offensive rebound. Um, you know, I think they're one of the best. They're the, or they're sixth nationally in offensive rebounding rate. Um, you know, in the country, which is, you know, an incredible mark. The only team that's better in the SEC is Mississippi State. Um, you know, and I think the biggest kind of stat that sticks out between the two of us is for, for us offensively, we're second in the amount of free throws we take per field goal attempts. And they're like 20th nationally and not fouling you. Um, when So, you know, it's going to be, that's going to be kind of like the, you know, immovable force meets the unstoppable objects sort of thing. Um 
I may have said that expression wrong, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so you know, it, it, it's going to be a big test for us. You know, we're we're excited about it. Um, you know, uh, having the having the home court. You know, you know, we're forty three and three in our last forty six home games, which is you know remarkable. So um, we're we're excited about it, and it should be a good contest at uh, noon Eastern on I think it's on ESPN, one of those channels. Virgo, man. You you almost give, hit us with your own one liner. What? No, you have a one liner about playing in the jungle and playing at Auburn Arena, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I just I know I just always tell people that uh, Auburn Arena is the best home court in, in in the country. So I truly believe that it's it's. I mean, all of the college basketball environments I've been to, you know, I've I can't think of you know a f- any any place really that's louder. Even if there's more people, it's just the way the court's set up. It's perfect. The students are right there. Um, nice, com- compact. It, it's good. So, following up, uh, well, I guess that somewhat to that statement is you know you guys only play LSU one time this year, and they're obviously leading the conference. Do you look at that as a, a benefit or you know a curse? Whereas, hey, we can't knock off the top team in the conference twice and give us a, a better ranking. Or do you look at it as oh, we don't have to play the team that's leading the conference twice? Um, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, you can only really play who's on your schedule. Um, you know, sure. you know, at this point, um, yeah, you, at this point right now that we, you know, that the, the, the lines have kind of cleared a little bit and you know, who's where, like, I, I think you wish that you played them another time. Um, you know, but all we can do is kind of take advantage of the opportunity that we have. Um, and, 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 you know, try and close the gap and hope, you know, some other teams in the conference do their part as well. I don't. I don't really know that you look at it either way. To be honest with you, regardless, monster tilt on Saturday against LSU. I want to take it back a few days though. This past Saturday, you hosted Kentucky. College Game Day was there. You had already mentioned that, Rigo. Can you tell us a little bit about how preparation for hosting Game Day is different than, let's say, a Mississippi State in Starkville on a Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's definitely different because we had like four or five meetings about it, you know, weeks in advance. Um, you know, just getting our whole administration inv- involved in it, and, and you know, our marketing department, our event staff, our facilities. We have to get you know the 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 local police involved, the fire. You know, it's just, it's, just, it's a big event. Um, you're, you know, you're wait, so you're like directing all that traffic as well? You have to not me. That? No, no, I'm just a, I was just I was just in there like talking about when we're going to shoot around and stuff like that. I had a minor, minor role, but sitting in those meetings and, um, you know, it's kind of interesting going from, you know, someone that was in college not too long ago and, and these sort of events taking place um, to now being on the other side of it and seeing how much prep and everything and everything that has to get thought of, um, you know, as far, even to the point of like we were talking, one of the things we did is we, you know, incentivized students to come to game day by basically giving them a, a, a um, an admission prior to the normal opening. So like the first 2,100 students that came to game day got like a, an exclusive admission half an hour before the doors would normally open. So like, you know, thinking through the logistics of all of that, you know, it sounds really easy in theory, but you know, um, it, it's definitely like a, a completely different prep. Now, as far as, you know, from a basketball staff, we kind of sat back and, and, you know, just got to enjoy it, um, which was, which was cool. You know, it's, it's, you see those guys on TV, you know, every Saturday and to see them live in front of you is on your court. And, you know, to then go back and watch the replay of the show and be like, wow, like that's, 
it, it, that was surreal for sure. Um, but no, I mean, it's no, no, no extra prep, but you know, you know, for we, we go about every game, like it's just another game. Cause at the end of the day, that's all it is. One game at a time. To follow I'm, up on that real quick, Burgo, uh, Pearl gave us a wonderful soundbite pregame. And I think, I mean, you were there. You might have to keep me honest. And actually, if you can say it verbatim, that'd be even better. But he said something to the effect of, we're fixing to have a great day. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, uh, he was he was just talking about how, like, you know, how historic the day was for our program. I mean, to, to you know, to have college game day come for the first time in history, um, you know, and, and then to, to beat Kentucky at, at home, you know, I mean, to beat Kentucky twice in a row in, in our last seven, to have to be winning four four out of the last seven, I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. It, yeah, he, he said we're fixing to have a good day, and we did. We had a great day. You can you can say you own Kentucky. <laughs> beat beat him in the tournament too to get to a final. Go ahead, Virgo. I'm not going to put any bullets in more of gear up, but no, they're listening. So, <laughs> you know, I, I remember we did. Uh, you know, we had a number of uh, college game days for Arizona basketball when I was in school. And I know one of them, they tried to do the early admission situation as well because the game wasn't until like 7 p.m. that night. Mm -hmm. And that turned into just an absolute disaster of just like security guards and figuring out where everybody was supposed to sit. But awesome experiences. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, I wish it's one of those things that makes you wish you're still in college, you know, to go back and do. So so can I take this to a a non-basketball place for a moment? Absolutely. You might have an idea of where I'm going with this and what night or what Monday night TV program I'm about to ask you about. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Is Madison Pruitt the secret to another Final Four run for Auburn this year? Um, you know, I definitely think uh, she definitely. No spoilers, by the way. No spoilers. Yeah. First off, okay. No, I definitely, I definitely think she's brought more attention to the program. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know that she's the, the key, but. Uh, no, it's awesome. It's 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 cool to you know see Maddie on there, and it's you know the you know the positive buzz she gets and stuff like that. It's cool, and um, I work with her her father Chad every day, and right. you know I know he's he was he was nervous about you know when the fir- the show first came out, and I think he's seeing a lot of the positive that's coming from it. So it's uh it's cool. We're we're excited for. So without saying anything aloud. Did we get a Mike Burgomaster appearance on a potential hometown date? They would never put me on camera. <laughs> That's not a spoiler. That's just obvious. God, yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't put you on camera, dude, because they dump Pete the Pilot in a heartbeat. <laughs> Auburn's most eligible bachelor. <laughs> Are you eligible, actually? Uh, currently not. But, oh! Yeah. See, that is what I'm talking about. I don't give a damn about, you know, the X's and O's and how you guys send the manual quickly. That's what I want to know. Oh, shit. That's great. That's, That's great, great, man. Uh, can you tell me a little bit, actually, about Isaac Okoro's pregame ritual? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Isaac, Isaac, um, we, so our, our warm-up, we break it down to guards and bigs, and um, at the end of at the end of uh, the guard segment, Isaac takes this fadeaway jumper like from thirty feet out, and he's never come close to making it. But every time, every time he's like, "I'm making it today. I'm making it today." And for whatever reason, I don't know. I just started filming it. Um, started calling it the worst tradition in sports. So um, hopefully, you know, 
hopefully he never makes it because we're off to a pretty good start. So <laughs> I think that's probably the key. This just it came out of nowhere, right? He just decided to start taking fadeaway half, half court jumpers. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, maybe I maybe he's been doing it his whole career. It's, I, I started noticing it like two games into the season. So um, and he's got he's done it every game. So uh, you know, ho- hopefully Isaac keeps on keeping on. I love that. Uh, so before I shift it back over to Taylor Burgo, this upcoming Saturday is Duke Carolina. For my money, the greatest rivalry in all of sports. Do you have a favorite Duke Carolina memory growing up? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have a favorite Duke Carolina memory. My favorite memories about Duke Carolina when it was when I was at Miami, um, and and Duke was the number one team in the country. And at Miami, we were twenty fifth, and we beat them by like twenty and stormed the court. So that's my favorite. Um, Duke Carolina memory that same year actually we beat North Carolina three times that season so there's there's my favorite Duke North Carolina memory for you was that the Shane Larkin wow. years that, that was Kaji. Yep, yeah. yep that was that team was Ken, Kenny Kaji is one of my all-time favorite college basketball players no shit right. what, wait, what on which preview show did I have Kenny Kaji as was it just our ACC preview show I picked him as my as my center yeah we were just like naming random people I think I picked him as my like starting center for my all-time favorite ACC Stretch basketball five. team. Stretch five. That's a good start, <laughs> especially in today's game. Would he be knocking down more of those fadeaway thirty footers before the game? No doubt. That's what he took. I mean, he he'd have a step in three pointer and he'd fade away. <laughs> right. Well, I guess my last question for you is really kind of a simple or open-ended one. Is I guess just what's the key for Auburn to end the year? You know, to meet all of the goals that you guys want to meet this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you know it's. It's for us just getting, like I said, getting better every single game and trying to learn something from each game. Um, you know, I think we've shown that we can find different ways to win. To win, I think that's why, you know, just go, talking about the luck thing on Ken Palm, like I, luck is more, he calls it luck to try and kind of be funny, but it's really like, like statistical error, which means, you know, we're not winning how we're supposed to win. Um, and I think, you know, that's a sign of a, a mature team um, doing that. Um, so I think, yeah, it's just, it's for us to get more, for us to get better at each game and to be more consistent offensively, you know, stick to what we do defensively. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, we just want to hit our stride come, come March. And, you know, that's, that's the most fun month in all sports, in my opinion. And, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can make another run. Well, for, for whatever it's worth, you guys were 162nd in luck last year. And you turned out pretty well. So hopefully that, you know, having what, were you, were you second this year? Is yeah, that what you said? We're, we're yeah. second. We're well, second. Then, uh, you're trending in the right direction, I yeah, guess. Yeah. So. Speaking of March and March Madness, uh, Berger, we're going to do a live show for Selection Sunday. Just go pick by pick, as Gumble tells us. And you know how sometimes they'll call or have a interview with the coaches after the seeds are revealed. We might do the exact same with you right okay. afterwards and see how you guys are doing. Do you guys have anything planned? I mean, look, I'm not – you obviously are thinking about the next game, but do you guys have a tradition for watching Selection Sunday? Do you know what you'll be doing or is it different each year? I mean, so, you know, it's been – in the two years that I've been here, it's been different each year. The The first year, we you know, we knew we were going to make it. Um, we had like a big, you know, a big thing in, in like a – in actually like our football film room um, just because it holds a, a bunch of people and – um you know, so we we uh, we had like a big viewing party last year. We actually were still in Nashville because we had just won the SEC tournament. So we watched it. Um, <laughs> we actually we streamed it late. So like it got leaked. We got leaked to us on Twitter 
because we were watching they didn't have like a, a cable set up in the hotel so we were watching it on a computer stream it come on down, sec <laughs> yeah it went down at one point it was a whole mess but um you know we so yeah we'll see you know hopefully we're watching it in in nashville again you know that's that's one of the goals um if not i'm sure we'll be back in the football film room with you know 150 of our closest friends so yeah no, that's, that's very true. I keep forgetting the SEC is one of those Sunday title games, and it'll lead right up to to uh, Greg Gumbel. And I'll let you go on this, Burgo. Uh, over Thanksgiving, you were back home in our hometown, City of Champions, Westford, Massachusetts. I mean, was the paparazzi out now that you're a Final Four-type coach? Uh, it, were, were people tugging on your, on your jacket? What was going on there, man? No, it was, I mean, it was uh, – it wasn't, you know – it was, it was pretty low key. It's good. You know, the paparazzi didn't follow me around too much. They, they typically do around here a lot. So, uh, uh, you know, it was nice to have a nice quiet little time in, in, in Western Massachusetts where, you know, no one, not no one, but there's a lot of people that don't care a ton about college basketball. So it was nice. You know, it was, I got to be off the radar a little bit. You didn't, you weren't wearing the ring, like the final four ring or anything like that around and just, and just casually just sitting it down on the table every time, you know, like, oh, dink. Hey, I'll just I'll take a Bud Light, please. Yeah. Oh, hey, man, what's up? Oh, sorry, didn't mean to hit you. That's my bad. You know. No, I, I think I think I learned my lesson when uh you know freshman year of college when I went back and still wore my Letterman jacket to the football game. I think <laughs> that's when I learned. You know, there's no reason to really show off like that. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, you, I, you can you can just be kind of uh, humble about it. Fuck that, dude. You just you went to a Final Four. You don't have to be humble about anything. But as always, we really appreciate the time, man. Best of luck going forward. Send Bruce and the boys our regards, yep. uh, and we'll see you down the line, all right? Appreciate you guys. Thanks. All right, we want to thank Burgo. Always uh, a great time chatting with him. Friend of the program, wishing him best of luck moving forward. Uh, let's finish it off here, Taylor, with some segments. Where am I? Where am I? Brian Zubak. Oh, so, wow. Second reference. Yeah, I, I laid a little bit of an Easter egg there for the theater goers. Brian Zubak, uh, if you remember him, he was he's a national title winner. He was on that 2010 Duke team that beat Butler, the Gordon Hayward shot. And so Brian Zubak graduated from Duke with a degree in U.S. history, but went a completely different direction uh, after college. He opened his own pastry shop in his hometown of Haddonfield, New Jersey, and the pastry shop was called Dream Puffs with a Z at the end. So while he was doing that, he was also investing in real estate and flipping houses on the side. So Zubek preferred that line of work as opposed to being a baker. Uh, So he took a job at Cushman and Wakefield in Manhattan, went to school at night at NYU. Sounds very, very Duke-like. And then he wound up getting a master's in real estate finance and investment graduated from NYU in 2015. Zubek came back to Philadelphia and started his own company. He's now the owner of Catalyst City Development, where he builds multifamily apartment buildings and single-family townhomes. All the real estate stuff is fantastic. Hug for Zubek in terms of pursuing his degree and his passion and all of that good shit. I'm sure he's very well, well off. The fact that I'm now picturing a 7-1 monster making pastries it will never escape me especially brian zubek you know you feel like pastries are kind of uh um not specific but if like you're doing some frosting or something on some pastries 
to have mitts that big and try and be that precise, you got to have you got to have some other assistants helping you out there because that's a lot. That's a big ask for a guy to do a design on like a cupcake at seven foot one. I mean, you're five, you're four feet above the cupcake trying to use your huge hands to make little intricate designs. That's got to be tough. The dexterity from Brian yeah. Zubek. And he wasn't even like skilled. He was okay. We need to round out our starting five and you are able to give us five fouls. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he did play, was it the national championship game? Or the final four, he actually had uh, a, a, a pretty good game. Uh, like, like I don't point, remember. Point wise. Yeah. I'd have to look that up. Uh, but yeah. Wow. What a name. Great name. I love, you know, it's interesting. It's crazy how all these people who don't know what they're going to do after college become realtors. I wonder, you know, or, or on the flip side, don't do anything with their degree that they got in college. Does that sound like any combination of people that you know, like at all? I don't know. Again, can't I can't really put my finger on it either. Can't think about it. Me neither. As an English major who currently works in the finance world, I, I couldn't tell you what you're <laughs> yeah, talking about. Absolutely no idea. So Brian Zubek uh, doing very well. Good for him. Let's get on to hugs, though, Taylor. Who is your hug for? So my hug is for the uh, KU and K-State bowling teams. They recreated uh, the uh, a picture at their last bowling match of the K-State-KU basketball um, uh, brouhaha that was had there, including one of the, I can't tell if it's a coach or who it is, but he picked up a stool as well. Um, so I'm going to big hug for these athletes on the uh, uh, Kansas State and K-State bowling teams. I actually put more effort into trying to find who won that matchup than I did anything else this week. And let me tell you how hard it is to find bowl, college bowling results. Pretty tough. Quiz time for you. Do you know the top bowling college in the state of Kansas, though? Let me think here. Hang on. <laughs> I mean, you're really going to have to go deep on this. Is it Topeka? No, it's actually uh, Kansas Wesleyan University. Um, That's the number one bowling college in, or the highest ranked bowling college in Kansas. Uh, They're in Salina, Kansas. Also, second fun fact before we get to your hug. Do you know that they have RPI for bowling as well? Which is, I guess, would be a similar metric as like RPI used in basketball. I'm not sure, like how you would apply it similarly because it's not like you know oh games played against the zone or (laughs) do they have maybe someone is like is ken palm equivalent out there like checking out the uh um, oil patterns in the lanes that's bowling knowledge right there uh in the lanes to see how they performed against each you know oil pattern i don't know i'd have to dive further into it but Overall, big hug uh, for the recreation uh, of the picture of uh, the two teams fighting. It was It's pretty funny. Two things there. One, bowling serious shit. The second I saw Pete Weber and that reaction, I realized that this isn't just something that we can make fun of or something that we watch on the Ocho or something that we watch when there's absolutely no sports on on ESPN2 and that they're airing it. This stuff is serious. And the reactions – and the uh, power index or whatever it was that you were referencing. Uh, RPI. Yeah. RPI, yeah. That, that stuff's serious, all right? So uh, it doesn't surprise me one bit. The second thing that I wanted to mention 
is that I'm glad that both of these teams could make light of that scenario because no one really got hurt. It was serious in the very in, in the moment, maybe a day after. But all these pundits like Dick Vitale and uh, you know Dan Dockage, they're all having a cow over a Kansas State Kansas brawl, and it was a it was a brawl. But I'm glad that both teams are kind of able to say, you know what, who gives a shit? We're okay. We've moved past it. So uh, speaking of Pete Weber, I really wish that Pete Weber was the Bachelor and not our current Pete Weber that we have as the Bachelor, because at least that Pete Weber. Uh, was fired up and did literally anything other than just stare off into space and uh, make no decisions at all. You know, Pete Weber would have gone into that, ba- the bowler would have gone into that house, said, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. You like that. I'm a man. I'm 40, whatever. This current Pete Weber that we have sucks. Let me get down a rabbit hole. Or you know what? I'm going to spin a spider's web. Okay. He's the head coach of Kansas State basketball. Bruce, who's the head? Who's that? Bruce Weber. Bruce Weber. Don't overthink this. Okay. Weber. 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 (laughs) Wow. Wow. Three Webers spinning a web. (laughs) Where the hell am I? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's that's. Was that your English degree or your experience in financial uh, planning? My ridiculous mind. It's like my John Nash beautiful mind, except for stupid college athletic shit. Uh, So I'll move on. My hug is for Candace Lee. So Candace Lee uh, is the new athletic director at Vanderbilt University. The former AD is Malcolm Turner, and he resigned, opening the door for Lee to take over uh, as Vandy's new AD. Why is this so important, and why is this hug-worthy, you may ask? Well, Lee, who is a former women's basketball captain at Vanderbilt, she becomes the school's first female athletic director and the first black woman to lead an SEC athletic department. Uh, So I would say, first and foremost, hug to miss lee but second of all uh fix that fucking court because it's an absolute travesty your court sucks i don't care about jerry stackhouse struggling in his first year i don't care that you decided to or not you but malcolm turner and the previous ad regime decided to bring back Derek uh Derek mason who's terrible as Vanderbilt's head football coach, but and kept boasting that he's the man for the job. I don't care that you guys have to worry about those two uh, coachings or uh, those two coaches, I should say. Fix the court. That's all I got to ask out of you, Candace Lee. And if you do that, you'll probably go down as Vanderbilt's best AD in history. 100%. Can I tell you or can you guess what Vanderbilt's last national championship was in? Oh, it's got to be baseball, right? Women's bowling. How recent was that? I don't know. I just I'm just reading it. On that the had to have been within the, the next the last few years. Didn't <laughs> no, didn't they win baseball with like Kumar Rocker, my Indian brethren? Uh, I think they won the the. I think they got to the championship there, but did they lose to Coastal Carolina? Is that the same year that Arizona lost to Coastal Carolina in the? I don't know. I don't know. I I'm just like, I'm just saying bowling powerhouse just to just to have more you know you know come full circle kind of like a bowling ball. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. For- just fix the like you said though. Just fix the court and literally that's all you could do. You could be there for a year, fix the court, and then leave, and you would still be like you said the best athletic director in Vanderbilt history. That's all we need to do. All right. Well, as we had mentioned, enjoy these games. Ton of games this upcoming weekend. We are off until next week. We'll see you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.
In 2008, the late Heath Ledger starred as the Joker in The Dark Knight, and in one of the plots of the movie, the theme was simple. Gotham City needed a hero. In 2020, college basketball needs a hero, and I plan on undertaking that responsibility. You've seen me on Twitter. You've seen me on Instagram. Now I'm coming to you with a new special weekly show, Stuffed with John Rothstein. We're going to have the best players, the best coaches, and sample the best food on a weekly basis. Stuffed with John Rothstein, serving the college basketball fan 24-7.